0: Charles Spurgeon was a man that God used, and millions are still being impacted by his kingdom work. As we examine his life and ministry, we hope to strengthen today's church and bring glory to Christ. My name is Joel Littlefield, lead pastor of New City Church in Bath, Maine, and I'm joined by my brother in Christ, Josh Whitney. Welcome to the Spurgeon Maniacs Podcast. (laughs)
1: <laughs> We're breaking the, the fourth wall. The
0: others? What's the fourth wall?
1: Do you, are you not familiar with breaking the fourth wall? Never
0: heard of it. Is it in the fifth element? Yep. Is it really? <laughs> no. I don't know why Actually, that came to, to honest, mind.
1: I've never seen the fifth element, so I don't know if it is. So Breaking the fourth wall is when breaking the Benjamin. character is breaking through their barrier of their confines and recognizing you the receiver. So if it's a book or a movie, it's when like in a movie, it would be when the character turns from being in the movie and faces or addresses in some way, the fact that there is an audience watching what they're doing.
0: So it's what the office does the entire time.
1: Sort of, except they're in the, they're a documentary. So that's expected that they're in a documentary talking to a film crew that's following them.
0: They were real. That was real.
1: Yeah. That's a real. That's oh. a. So if you go, there's an actual script in Pennsylvania,
0: and an that actual building that church
1: that's there when when you get there, that's actually there. You can take a picture of that. Yeah,
0: but I was told that did where do, no okay real. Let's be serious now. Okay, no mess it with were me. Were we notbees? Okay, no, we were, we were being serious. What? Where where did they actually record that show? California. LA. Okay, cool. Just want to make sure I'm not like going crazy. No, they first because I'm pretty sure I thought northern California because they had snow like they actually had, or was that all snow machines?
1: A, a lot of that was snow machines. Really? So when um like when Michael uh goes into the woods to do his like yeah. uh, in the that was just the that was like a local forest in LA.
0: Nice. Yeah. Like the one little tiny forest in the middle of the city. Do you want
1: to know a fun <laughs> So Steve Carell was on Office Ladies, which is a fun podcast that okay. goes into it. He wrote that episode.
0: Okay. That
1: one where he goes Is into the like wilderness one, to survive overnight. That's, he, he wrote that episode.
0: That's hilarious. And he talks
1: about it. like, that was such a stupid thing. Like, why would I write myself here? <laughs> this was a terrible idea.
0: And the, rest for the, and the rest of it was written primarily by Ryan, whoever his, I can't remember his, right? Uh, the temp. Yeah,
1: temp. BJ Novak.
0: Yeah, right? Isn't he the director or director or writer?
1: He's, he, so him, Mindy Killing, um, and Paul Lieberstein, who is one of the executive producers, they were all writers on the show. Okay. Um, who else? So Paul Lieberstein is um, Toby. Okay. So he wrote some of the episodes. Um, so a lot of Goodbye, the people that Toby. showed up in the show were just writers. Mm-hmm. And so they were like the extras in the season one. A lot of those people that aren't in the show regularly are right. the writers for the show.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well now everybody knows a little bit more about the office and how it was made and where it was shot and who wrote it, and mm. we are off to a great start.
1: We're the office office there, guys. But there are better
0: <laughs> better things to come, much better in this episode. What
1: could be name name one thing, Joel, that's better <clears throat> than two random guys talking about the office. Name one thing that could be better.
0: One particular guy named Drumroll. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry, <laughs> that's, that's he's already podcast. agreed to not come on the podcast. Just now, he's like, "No, never mind."
0: Oh no, he's in already because he has no idea this is happening.
1: I know, I'm being funny. That's a joke. It's called a joke. Actually, he's Heard in the other
0: room right now, listening. He's backstage. He's in our green room. Hey,
1: he's in our green room. Stay waiting back Yeah, no, just a minute, Tim. it's gonna be a just a Tim? quick second.
0: Tim, who? Tim Burton?
1: No. Tim, Tim.
0: the Toolman Taylor. <laughs>
1: No, better than Tim the Tool Man Taylor, Tim Challies. Tim Challies! We've mentioned it on Facebook a little bit, and today today is the day. We're uh, we're recording this before we have our sit-down, so we're anticipating it being a really good episode. I, I'm looking forward to it, for Very sure. Very much
0: excited. Yeah, we've been uh, excited to see who our first guest would be. We had a few guys uh, kind of thrown around and names, and um, I'm blessed that Tim uh, has... Chosen, decided, allowed us the privilege, really, of having him on, on the Spurgeon Maniacs podcast. Hopefully, he'll agree to be a, an official Spurgeon Maniac.
1: Yeah, we can rope him in. That'd be a win. Maybe get him a sticker, so that way he has it on his computer, because if you have a sticker on your computer, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get more official than that.
0: That's right. So we're going to just go through the the fairly normal uh, segments of our podcast uh, that, that everybody's familiar with. Um, but we're going to really let uh, Tim do a lot of the talking. We want you guys to hear from him, be blessed by his life and ministry and what he, how he has been affected by Spurgeon. And we just really hope you guys are blessed by the topic today. And um, yeah, give us your feedback. We really want to hear from you. We want to we know that this show was a, was a huge blessing for you. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Let's do it. Hey, Tim, thanks for being on the show with hey, us. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for coming on.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, brother, we are just grateful. I know our listening audience is going to be blessed by you being on the show with us. Um, why don't we just start with you sharing a little bit about yourself, who you are, maybe some things you're involved with, and uh, a, little bit about, a little bit about your family.
2: Yeah, uh, I live in Oakville, Ontario, Canada, just outside of Toronto. Born and raised in this general area. I'm married to Aileen, we're coming up, our next anniversary will be our 25th, so we've been married for some time. Lord bless us with three children. We have a daughter who's 16, a daughter who's 20, and then a son who passed away when he was 20 years old, uh, a few years ago now. Um, yeah, and I'm a writer by trade, I blog every day at chalice.com, I've written a few books, and uh, do a fair bit of travel as well, including some historical travel where I've, uh, bounced into Spurgeon a couple times
0: awesome how were you first introduced to Charles Spurgeon
2: yeah I've been to well I've got a couple of of interactions with this stuff one was when I was in South Africa and uh down there for some reason they have a big chunk of his library um it's in some little library there and started pulling out books and they were his books with his notes in them about um he had a he had a couple of them that would that were you know his little descriptions of this book and this author and why he was special, oh man, that's and awesome. then also I've been to the Spurgeon Library in Kansas City, right. and uh my friend and I flew a drone a flew a drone in the library. It was probably the <laughs> first and only that's happened there.
0: They actually let you fly a drone in the library,
2: yeah, I think that they were pretty good about it, yeah, we were filming something, and they just we needed some good you know sort of overhead sweeping footage, so drone was the. Yeah. oh my
0: god that's crazy man that's awesome do you uh so do you already know jeff chang
2: i don't know him I, I don't know if i ran into him but back then i just asked jeff allen he was the big boss there if we could fly a drone he said i guess so we flew a drone
0: yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> nice <laughs> nice awesome man well we are going to get into the next part of our segment what we normally do is we start off with a historical piece um about Spurgeon. We'd love for you to speak into that a little bit. And uh, Spurgeon's love for reading and his discipline of reading is really the topic that I wanted you to be able to share about. Particularly, we know he had a a love for Pilgrim's Progress. So would you mind sharing with uh, our listeners uh, a little bit about that part of Spurgeon's life, how reading uh, impacted him, and uh, maybe anything specific along that category?
2: Well, can I give you a Spurgeon story? How he's interacted in my life first or should that come later
1: oh yeah no definitely do the personal story first
2: okay okay so first spurgeon's library was something to behold and there's a good chunk of it in kansas city at midwestern and Mm -hmm. it's worth going through it's a a fun combination of just volume and then you know just the sheer volume of books he read and then his interaction and engagement with those books and then his comedic perspective on those books and so the books he didn't like he made it very clear he didn't like it and it's fun to just what? read through those sniping comments he right. made and I think they have some of those ones usually in the display cases they have those those opens. So you can see uh some of the books he he did not regard favorably wow. um but he was an avid reader I mean to the point that few of us could ever hope to read as much as he sure, did sure. and then yeah. not many of us had his photographic mind to memory to um remember all that he he read But a a fantastic reader. But here's where Spurgeon and I first um, overlapped in life. I was part of a church in this area. And um, the church was drawing in pastors and then preparing to send them out again. And so it was sort of the hub church that was um, going to begin this kind of church planting movement around the area. And so when I was still relatively new in this church, this... Pastor was drawn in, and again he was—he was sort of between pastors He had been a pastor. He was going to be taking one of the church plants, and uh, he came to me one day and started explaining that he was starting to see the Christian life a little differently than he had in the past, and he—he um, he was finding some new teachers that he was finding especially helpful in helping understand how to how to present the faith and how to live out the Christian faith in a 21st century context. And one of the people he told me about was a guy named Brian McLaren. And he had just really come to love Brian McLaren and even gave me, um, I can't remember what the title was, one of Brian McLaren's first books and said, you should read this, this is, this is amazing. And uh, so he was, he started telling me the first person I ever knew who was into the emerging church and uh, just really convinced this was the way. He started reading, uh, getting into some Rob Bell stuff as well. But along the way, he decided this, this is the future of Christianity. And I needed to divest myself. He said he needed to divest himself of the previous trappings of his Christian faith. And among that were the a big collection of Charles Spurgeon sermons. And so he was going to throw them out, but asked if I would like them instead. And I didn't really know much about Spurgeon at the time, but I thought, yeah, sure. I'll take those. It's got to be better than Brian McLaren. And so I took those sermons and started reading my way through them and just, you know, it was, um, it was amazing. It turned out to be moderately better than Brian McLaren, and um, yeah, so that really gave me a love for Spurgeon, and uh, just yeah. a yeah, a deep affection for for him and for his works. Um, right, yeah, right. We yeah. subsequently changed churches, and I ended up in uh, one of the members of that church was Arnold Dalmore's granddaughter, who became a very good friend, and of course Dalmore wrote a lovely biography of Spurgeon, a very Positive, you know, not a not a deeply academic biography of Spurgeon, but just such a good one. And so, um, one more thing to say about all that is that pastor who got deeply into Brian McLaren. The last I looked, uh, looked him up. I googled him a little while back, and he's now a wedding officiant. He's no longer a pastor. He's a wedding officiant who's specializing in gay marriages. So, it would not surprise me that that's where Brian McLaren drove him. Um, yeah. It worked out well for me. I got the, the Spurgeon sermons and read my way through a good number of them and uh, was very blessed by them.
0: Awesome. So is that pretty much what you're accustomed to, is reading his his sermons or his books or what?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I think most of his books were sermons anyways, weren't they? At least the ones you right. see, we see now were primarily sermons or based on sermons, which was really done in that day. I've read a lot of sure. um, books written in the late, 19, or late 1800s into the early 1900s. And predominantly, they would be remixed sermons or maybe articles. Um, people weren't writing quite as many books as we understand them today, as I, at least from what I can see.
1: Tim, could you go a little bit deeper into Spurgeon's love for Pilgrim's Progress? Because we know he read it often. Could you kind of go deeper into that on his love for the book, and you know, maybe even how often he read it.
2: Yeah, at the library, they have a copy that he kept in his chest pocket, right? Because it's sort of bent. Um, You can see it was carried in his pocket an awful lot. So yeah, he loved it and read it, I don't even know how many times, but he read it annually, right? And it really just seeped into his heart and and his mind and his way of expressing himself. He used it often relied on it for illustrations. Um, I don't know that um, everybody needs to read the Pilgrim's Progress every year. I, I'm i not alone in admitting, I'm not a, I, I have not historically been a huge fan of Pilgrim's Progress. But what changed it for me was the first time I listened to it rather than tried to read it. And so I found an audio recording, the one by Nadia May, that's available in a good number of places. And that really changed it for me because she was reading it with such understanding and such expression that um, her reading helped with my understanding and my interpretation of it. And so, uh, yeah, I found that tremendously helpful and it gave me a new love for it. And since then, I've read it a number of times and really enjoyed it. So I would say for those who, you know, you've heard that about Spurgeon and you know how important it was to him, why don't you try listening to it if you're finding it difficult to read? I think that's probably better than reading a sort of a modern English or other adaptation of it. Listen and see.
0: So they actually had a copy of that at the Spurgeon Library?
2: I, I might be making that up, but I think... I think they do. Yeah, I'm sure he had multiple copies as well. There's one other thing I want to say about Spurgeon and reading is I think he models something important, which is he read for himself, but he also read for others. And so there's certain people who had the ability to read a lot. One of the ways they can serve other people, whether that's their family, whether that's the local church, whether that's the global church, is to do that reading and then record thoughts about what they've read. Um, so Spurgeon would do that with commentaries, right? He would have his commentary on commentaries and his whole plan there was to drive people toward the good ones and away from the bad ones. And uh, so that can be a real ministry of reading. If you have the ability and you have the desire, then read for self-improvement or for, um, you know, growing your own knowledge. But read also as a form of loving and serving, even protecting and equipping others.
0: That is excellent advice. I appreciate that, brother. Mm. I'm sure our listeners will will benefit from that. So as we were preparing for this episode, I did a little digging because I know you talk a lot about this uh, in your writing. I found an article from March 4th of 2013. It's called Four Good Reasons to Read a Good Book, and I found some some great quotes. Do you remember writing that, that article?
2: Not even a little bit. I can barely recall what I wrote last week.
0: So it ha- has a really awesome quote. And uh, I wanted to read it so that uh, our listeners can hear. But you just did a really good job uh, sort of displaying the, the benefits of reading. And uh, so check out this quote. It says, you may capture and box up the God of Joel Osteen, but then you read John Calvin or John Edwards and are utterly humbled by just how little you know of this God. Mm.
2: That's good. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it now. I I wrote that first as a speech. I think I was asked to give a talk at at a church about how to read or why to read. And so I then repackaged it into... The the blog is sort of my definitive um, archive of my stuff, just for personal reasons. I try and get everything there. So I think I turned that speech into an article and put it out there, yeah.
0: Cool. So I know that you may um, already know this, but we do a scriptural segment uh, for all of our episodes. And so we want to just take a minute and uh, just talk about how the scriptures themselves are a great support for growing in our knowledge of God. The, the Bible makes a great uh, uh, case for why we should be good readers. So, um, Josh, why don't you take a, uh, just a second? Let's, let's look at a couple scriptures to give our listeners a biblical basis for for being, uh, having the discipline of reading in their life. And why would that be even necessary?
1: Yeah. So as we see through, I mean, you just gave a great introduction to that, but one of the common themes we see in scripture, when we talk about love and and knowing Christ, a lot of it has to do in that knowledge of, so some scriptures that we see Colossians one, nine through 10. And so from the day we heard, we had not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. And so not only do you have like understanding and that's how we grow is by knowledge and through, and through the word, right? We also see that in our apologetics. So the, the famous, uh, sermon Paul gave in Acts To the Athenians um, He references their own philosophers And so we have in our scriptures Quotes of other people's philosophers He's obviously reading He's well read So we know it's not just a growing and learning Of our own inspired word Of what God wants us to know But we also see what the world has to offer Because anyone mm. being well read And wants to address the world We know the world Yeah. Amen. So a couple of just other ones, as we understand about growing in the knowledge of our Lord, is through Second Peter. This one from one eight: For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And then three eighteen: But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.
0: Mm. Amen. Yeah. So we know it's biblical, right? We know it's so biblical. And we always want our listeners to be thinking through biblically um, why these principles matter. And so looking at reading, Tim, I know you'd have uh, so all sorts of scriptural references and, and underpinnings for all of this as well. But would you just, we want to work through a few questions for you um, to just kind of elaborate on this more. Why, why do you think reading is an important Christian discipline? And what Perhaps might you say to someone who who would argue against that, or maybe say, "All I need is my Bible," or "I don't really need to read other books because I, I have the Bible." Uh, what would you What would you say to that?
2: Yeah, well, books, as we understand it, didn't really exist back then, so um, we can't burden people with saying you must read. Um, you know, Jesus didn't sit down with a paperback and and read through it. Um, I think the, the approach I would take is probably, I think Al Muller does a good job of this in his book, The Conviction to Lead. He talks about how any of us are leaders and we'll always lead in line with our convictions. Um, so we need to form convictions and sharpen our convictions. And the way we sharpen our convictions is usually through reading, through challenging them through reading and then developing them more and more. So we come, if there are bad convictions we set aside or we correct and our good convictions, we um, we become more and more convicted of them and then become better leaders in that way. And so I think I would encourage people in that direction. Um, as, as you were saying, the Bible commends knowledge and it commends knowledge that's, um, we know what, what is true knowledge or correct knowledge by the Bible. Um, and so we always have that authoritative uh, word to go to, and then the rest of our books can help us um, come to sharper convictions they can help us um, better understand that knowledge, you know, as you were saying earlier with uh, Jonathan Edwards and people like that they'll they 'll just keep pushing us and pushing us um, to come to a deeper understanding of who God is and how he's acted in this world that in turn has the result so the reason I say all this is because we don 't just read just for the sake of ourselves; we read as an expression of love for other people. I would hope, um, which is something I covered in that that talk um, that we 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 read to love others, and so I become a better husband to my wife when my convictions about being a husband grow or my convictions on the subject of love grow, I become a better parent to my daughters when I understand uh, what God calls me to as a father, a father of children in the home, a father of children who have gotten married and, and moved out, and so on, and so constantly sharpening convictions so I can be a better leader, a better man, better Christian.
0: So I have another question for you, Tim. Um, we're talk about the discipline of reading, because I, I, as pastors, and I know you're a pastor as well, um, we, we have people that struggle with the discipline. What would you say to someone who who struggles or maybe is a little weak in that area and um, we, we should be able to give them some advice. So what would, yeah, what would you say to someone who's weak in that area?
2: So I think understanding where you're weak in your character or weak in your knowledge or weak in your just your enacting of all that. So um, if you understand where you're weak, then try to find a book that will address those weaknesses. Um, again, that's, that's a way of loving other people, understanding that in all of life you're engaging, interacting with others. And um, God doesn't just tell you you can be weak. He, He wants you to grow in your weaknesses, to grow stronger so you're loving people better. And so finding books that address those weaknesses, that may mean reaching out to someone who's more knowledgeable in books. You know, we don't all have access to Spurgeon, but there's lots of people who know the lay of the land when it comes to Christian books, or you can speak to a pastor or something, and just say, what do you think I should be reading? Or I've become convicted that I'm weak in this area. Can you recommend a book? Or just go to a bookstore like Westminster Books. All they carry is good books, and so you can find something on being a husband or being a father or whatever, and you know it'll be a, a good book that'll that'll teach you well.
1: What would you say your favorite genre is?
2: I read devotional works. It's my favorite genre. Devotional works, especially from uh, kind of Spurgeon's era.
0: So you mean like morning and evening?
2: yeah. So when I say devotional works, I don't necessarily mean a devotional as we understand it. I mean more it is what might have been, we might call it Christian living today or something, but it's more um, instructing people, encouraging people in the Christian life. And that's just been really helpful to me and very meaningful to me. And so reading a, a guy like J.R. Miller has largely been forgotten today, but was huge in his time. And uh, he's... he's He's probably my all-time favorite author and the one who just uh, feeds me and serves me best.
1: Who who was that again, Tim?
2: J.R. Miller, or James Russell Miller. He was Presbyterian, American Presbyterian in the late 1800s into the early 1900s. I think he sold something like two million books in his day. Um, But yeah, you rarely hear him or see him referenced these days. See that's the thing. A lot of his he was primarily a writer of articles, and then his articles got remixed into books. And so you might read three books and find the same chapter in all three, or very very similar chapters in all three. So you really can't go too far wrong. But his uh, he wrote a book called The Book of Comfort. I think it was the final book he wrote, uh, just before he went to be with the Lord. And it was it was so helpful to me and uh, the death of my son and um, just really, really ministered well to me. So that's probably my favorite.
1: To your knowledge, did Charles Spurgeon and J.R. Miller, did they ever cross paths at all? Did The writings or anything like that?
2: I'm trying to think. I've, so I read several authors from that era, and I know some overlapped. I don't recall him specifically referencing Spurgeon. I've also not yet read the biography of him, which may mention that so they were contemporaries I just don't know how much that if they ever if their paths ever crossed
0: can you share any other stories about how Spurgeon has inspired your walk with Christ
2: when I was uh, my son was a seminary student uh, when he passed away and shortly before then I went to one of his classes Uh, the professor just knew I was on campus and invited me in and was talking about different historical heroes and he said, for every Christian hero he's ever encountered, he honors many of them, loves many of them, has learned from them. He's always found some, I don't wanna say fatal flaw, but some really, one of those things where you just think, how could he have believed all these good things and then believe that? How could he, how could he have done that? Um, he said, there's only one exception to the rule. And he said, it's Spurgeon. He's just never found anything egregiously wrong in Spurgeon's life. Um, And it is remarkable that with all that's known, he lived a very public life, lots of people spent time with him and knew him very well. And as far as I know, there's no skeleton in that closet. And he's not one of those people where we have to, as Christians now say, okay, yes, there's that, but look at all the good he did. I just don't know how to explain that thing. And maybe there is, and maybe it'll come out or maybe I'm just not aware of it. But I think he he led an especially blameless life Of course, to whom much is given, much will be expected. And God gave him just a remarkable mind. And, um, you know, I think he he used it well. Um, Yeah, I I think he's a very honorable and impressive person. One of the best Christian lives lived, I think.
1: Tim, what would you say to someone in this YouTube era that they say, you know, they listen to a lot of teachers online? Um, and they discuss the Bible there. So I guess what would you say to someone, someone like that who just kind of follows all their favorite YouTube guys instead of reading books?
2: I suppose the main thing is uh, we need input in order to sharpen our convictions. If I'm going to go back to what Moeller said about reading, I think a lot of it could be translated into podcasts or other things. Um, we need input to sharpen our convictions. Um, I think we want to emphasize good input, getting stuff into our minds that will really help us become better Christians to put off the old and put on the new. Um, I think reading has historically been the main way people have done that and it's proven tremendously beneficial. Uh, In an era of all these new media, there's more opportunities than ever to to learn and to grow. You guys wouldn't be doing what you're doing if you didn't believe that podcasting offered some value and so well and good. So I don't want to I don't want to burden people uh, in a way that's that's not mine to do. The Bible doesn't give me the right to say you must read, um, but I do think there's something to be said for um, the w- what reading offers so well, and in a way I think it's really unmatched, is the ability to just be alone with the book and to study it closely and to uh, take your time to linger over it and so on. There's no ads, there's no pop-ups, You never your book never buzzes and uh, shows you a text message or anything. You just be alone with your book and uh and read and linger over it so um in that way i think it has unique power and i I would want people to consider what might be displacing reading in my life so i think all of us want to read almost all of us have this desire to read but if we don't really make the time for it there's just so many competitors in our lives some of them good things but some of them um probably inferior things so um yeah, I think just what is what is pushing reading out of my life, and then am I willing? Is that a good trade? Am I willing to make that trade?
0: So, audiobooks or paper? What do you think?
2: I, I tend to read Kindle is my is how I tend to read, and part of that is because I'm a book reviewer, so I get all the books in Kindle format very easily, anyways. Um, but I I travel a lot, and that way I can always have my library with me. There's something to be said for being on the far side of the world and having my entire library accessible. So I tend to use Kindle and Logos, Uh, Kindle for sort of Christian reading type books and Logos for reference works.
0: So Tim, I know that this would hugely benefit people listening, if you'd be willing to share, Uh, I know it's a real part of your journey, something you went through. So would you be willing to elaborate a little bit on how reading or maybe particularly reading Spurgeon or the Puritans, how, how was that helpful in getting you through your, your time of grieving mm-hmm. when, uh, when you and your wife lost your, your son.
2: Yeah, I made friends with people who lived and died years ago. They became my friends through their books. They left behind a, a record of what they had gone through and how the Lord had brought them comfort in their losses. And they became very treasured friends to me. And I'm looking forward to going to heaven so I can actually meet them and thank them. But for the time being, I'm just I was so thankful to have encountered good books. And almost all the books that were meaningful to me were by people who were from a different era. And maybe that's no knock on um, on contemporary authors. It's just that's where I found real joy and real comfort. And um, that's what guys like Spurgeon have left us. They've left us this legacy of their work, of their ministry, of their what they had learned about the Lord. They were, it was recorded for us. And so I'm, I'm thankful for them. And uh, I read my way and then, in my own way, wrote my way through my grief, through my sorrow. And I'm just so thankful. We as as Christians, and especially English-speaking Christians in the 21st century, have just this abundance of resources. There's something for everything. For every joy, every sorrow, every grief, every loss, there's something there for us. And so we're so, so privileged and uh, I, I think it would, we'd be remiss if we just shrugged that off and spent our lives watching uh, Netflix when we could be, you know, just really learning from these, these people that learned so much from the Lord and, and shared it with us.
1: So, Tim, do you have any upcoming projects that you could tell us about?
2: Sure. So uh, I recently wrote a book called Seasons of Sorrow, The Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. That was uh, my journey through grief uh, following the death of my son. It begins on the evening Nick died very suddenly and unexpectedly, and it ends exactly one year later. And it just follows the seasons um, through the year, and then just is me recording my thoughts on, and uh, just recording what was going on in our lives. And my hope for the book is that it will really minister to other people. None of us escape grief in this life. None of us escape all pain and all sorrow. And so these are universal matters, and uh, I'm hoping that the book will, will minister to people and uh, bring them comfort as God calls them to pass through the, the valley of the shadow of death as he does for, for all of us.
0: So Spurgeon obviously dealt with a lot of depression himself and issues. And um, a favorite quote of mine that I found, I can't actually remember where when I found it, but yeah. um, maybe you're familiar with it. It is Spurgeon's quote where he says, yeah. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that?
2: Yeah. No, it's a, it's a beautiful expression. And there was, um, I'm trying to think what chapter it is, but there's, there was one sermon he, he wrote or he left behind that was really meaningful to me. And it was in grappling with, with sorrow and loss. And, uh, the point he made that was so precious to me was in your grief, you have this tendency to become very selfish and self-focused. And his call was to was to to not allow yourself to get into this this way of thinking where I'm the only one who suffered, nobody can possibly understand what I'm going through and he said something I can't remember exactly his wording, but it was something like um get yourself out of this you know this this mindset, this special woo or something he said where you think you're the only one who suffered, and look and you'll see that." Marching ahead of you is this long procession of saints, and at the head of them all, the man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief and that was just such a challenge for me in this in this time where I was really tempted to just close up shop, you know, just sink down into despair, but him saying, "No, if you're a Christian, you understand many people have endured this loss, and then of course, our Savior himself knows what it is to mourn and to weep, and he's with us in our in our griefs.
0: Wow. I know, I know that's going to be impactful yeah. uh, for people to hear, so thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, we're coming to the end of the episode, and uh, as we sort of wrap things up, we know you've probably got uh, all sorts of things that are coming up. Um, we'd love for our listeners to be able to know how they can pray for you. Uh, we'd love for that to be a regular thing with all of our guests, so that people can just be aware that you know, you've got yeah. regular things going on, how can we be praying for you in this upcoming season for your ministry, uh, for your family and, and things like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. The big thing
2: this year is I'm traveling a ton. I'm doing a filming a documentary this, world, this year that's taking me around the world. We're going to be um, with a little team of people. We're going to 12 different local churches in 12 different countries to, uh, to churches that worship according to scripture and according to sound doctrine, but also in ways that are distinct according to their culture. And so, this has taken me far and wide across the world. So, just prayer for safety and travel and uh, safety for those who are at home, and that uh, the project would um, come together well and honor the Lord. And how old are your kids? Uh, Michaela is 16, and Abby is 20.
0: Man, that all sounds really exciting. And we will be praying for you. Yeah. Tim, we're just so grateful um, to have had you on the show. I mean, it's been fun, huh?
1: It's been so much fun. I've I mean, I don't even know what to say now. Thank you so much. I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the fellowship, enjoyed this conversation, and hopefully, hopefully, I mean, I think they will, I've hopefully everybody else will thoroughly enjoy it as well.
0: I do as well. Yeah, you've been just real genuine, and I appreciate your straightforward answers and your love for Spurgeon. Of course, that's why we wanted you on the, on the podcast, because mm-hmm. we know you'd have a lot to say about that. So um, we've got some stuff coming up that we want to just let our listeners know about what's going on, Josh.
1: Well, so we're, I think we're gonna put on a, a conference. Should we do that? I, I, I think it's about time. So May tw- how about May twenty sixth. I'm
0: thinking twenty
1: seventh. Two days. Let's do two days. Yeah. Start so, on a Friday night. Yeah. Start on a Friday night, May twenty sixth, twenty seventh. You guys can find all those details. You know where to go down in our description, Eventbrite page. Also, hopefully, you heard the promo code. If not, Spurge Pod S P U R G E P O D gets you twenty dollars off. And then you can find us on Facebook. Connect with us on there. Our public page is where we're sharing content. The private page, the same name, is where you guys can interact with one another. But very much looking forward to seeing you guys at the conference. And Tim, again, just thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much for being on the show, brother.
2: You're very welcome.
1: All right. We'll see you guys.
0: See ya.